and welcome to another episode of Grumpy Old Gay Men and Their Dogs. It is day 81 here in the Zen Room. My name is Patrick Finn. Sadly, my co-host and partner in crime, Tommy Gibbons, is not here with us tonight as he is feeling under the weather. We wish him well. In his place, I have my husband and producer, Stephen Prendergast. Hey, bitches. How are you, Stephen? I'm doing quite well. I'm glad to hear that. I should hope so, since we live together. (laughs) (laughs) And also tonight, we have a special guest tonight. Would you please welcome Mr. Daniel Higgins? Hey, everybody. How are you doing? Maybe you ought to give a brief intro about yourself, Daniel. Tell us about yourself. Are you kidding? I have to start immediately with talking about myself? Yes. Uh, Just a brief rundown. We're going to get into more later. I'm... How old are you? Where are you from? from? I'm 27 years old. Ooh. I know. I'm I'm like... He's a grumpy young man. I'm approaching the grumpy age of 30. (laughs) Oh, no. Everything's just starting to hurt, you know? (laughs) Stop whispering. You're getting me hard. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm from Malvern, New York, and I, uh, I make theater for a living. Yes, you do. Aren't you the executive artistic director? No, no. No. What's your title? Co-artistic director. Co-artistic director at East Line Theater. And president of. Yes. Oh, and president of. Occasionally when it's required, yeah. Yes. (laughs) And are you now or have you ever been a dog owner? I have, yes. Oh, in the past. Yeah, I was a dog owner when I was a kid. Okay, so he can stay. I can stay. But I do (laughs) want to give a shout out to my lovely cat, Delilah. A Delilah. So, I just, for all the pro-cat listeners as well. Yeah, okay, yeah, I know there's a few of them out there. (laughs) The kitty cats, not the pussies. (laughs) It's Tuesday, the 22nd. We're actually celebrating because this past Friday, our most recent episode, we had our biggest one-day download since our very first episode. Yes, so we were very, very happy about that. Keep downloading. Yep, what's that? I said keep downloading. Right, exactly. Keep listening. Yes, always keep listening. I don't care if you listen, just fucking download (laughs) the shit. But anyway, we're going to move on to our first segment, which of course is heavy petting. And first, we want to have a reminder that we have a... Post up on our website, www.grumpyoldgaymenandtheirdogs.com. We have a blog, and there's one blog entry called The Dogs of War, in which we list a number of charities that you can donate to to help with animal rescue efforts in Ukraine. So please, please, please feel free to donate. Contact through those, uh, through those, uh, those charity links. Did you see that video? I don't know if... Are you guys on TikTok? <laughs> yes, we get TikTok. Yeah, yeah, so, like, there was that video on TikTok recently about uh, that animal shelter. Like, right at the start of the war, where the Russians started bombing the local area, and they had to, like, run these dogs out of... Uh, yeah. And cats. Yeah, and but we... we I, I actually... There was, I think, last week, I report about this one animal group. They report about the shelter being bombed. Yeah, Only yeah. one of the animals was killed at that oh, time. Oh, Yeah, they were lucky. Like, it's, it's just amazing that the, even an animal shelter? Come on. Like, yeah. Yeah, no, they're, it's just indiscriminate bombing, so. I know, it's just constant. I know, it's unreal. But we're going to go on to some happier news, and we're going to discuss dog names. Okay. The Colorado-based uh, pet care company Camp Bow Wow, which has 200 locations in 42 states and in Canada, released its list of the top 10 dog names. Those names are, starting with number 10, Sadie. Sadie, okay. Number 9 is Milo. Number eight is Bailey. Bailey. Number seven is. Ah, mm, yuck, 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 yuck. Number seven is Daisy. Daisy, Daisy. Number six is Max. 
Max. Max. Max. Max Bialystok. Number five is Lucy. Number four is Cooper. I've never I heard like of a dog named Cooper. Cooper, Cooper, Cooper right? Like, like the town. Number three is Charlie. 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 My old landlord had Charlie, and he used to pee on my rug going upstairs. Oh. Yeah. What a nice dog. Nice dog. Number two is Bella. Bella. Bella, Bella. is number two. Ooh, and the is. number one dog name is Luna. Luna, really? I have never Luna. heard of a dog called Luna. Actually, I, I do. Really? I, yeah, my, one of my best friends, Joe Baccia's dog for a long time. His name was Luna. Beautiful, oh. beautiful sort of like um, tall poodle. Do you know what I mean? With like, But like shaggy. Standard poodle? No, but it wasn't like it had like shaggier hair. Do you know what I mean? I don't know the name. It was a mutt. I remember saying it was a mutt. So, cool. see, I can talk about dogs just because I have a cat. <laughs> what was your dog's name? The my one dog's, you had? My dog I had's name was Roxy. Roxy. Because I was a very young... F- Roxy. Very- <laughs> Roxy. I was a very young little gay boy. And I've been gay since seven. I don't know what to tell you. My first cat's name was Jingle Bells. So you know... I, like, oh my, my God. Yeah, my, 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 my gay ass goes really far back. Really far Jingle bells, the in, in, in the in like, and that's why I was like, we'll have to ask Brian how far back your ass goes. But anyway, according to some of the experts with Camp Bow, why they said that short two syllable names are helpful for getting your dog's attention, while names that are just like one syllable or like sound like commonly used words can confuse your dog. Hmm. Now, of course, our dog has a three syllable name, but she seems we to respond to fine. We call her Abigail. We call her, you know, baby girl. It's the same number of syllables. And you little shit. Sons. That's yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> so she seems to respond to that. They also say that names that end in vowels help dogs distinguish their own name from others because of the vowels. Because the vowels change the vocal tone. Ooh. Something the dogs that are highly attuned to with their acute hearing ability. That's amazing, right? They also say names with harsher sounds like. Breck. Why are they coming up with the name Breck? Like Breck. Can also be easier for a dog to distinguish from other words. Hmm. And also, did you know that last year, Americans adopted nearly a million dogs in 2021. Wow. And just so people know, if you do adopt a dog and it already has a name and you don't like it, you can change the name. Dogs are very adaptable with name changes. It's not a problem, no matter how old the dog is. Every pet I've ever had. We've changed its name. Yeah, we didn't change Abigail's name because she was she was Abigail. Yeah, she was. She was an Abigail. That was that was that was correct. And it's not spelled like the normal Abigail. Mm-hmm. It's A B I G A L E. L E. Yeah, it's yeah. I don't know why that woman spelled it that way, but that's the way she did. Uh, that's how she got her. Oh, really? They named her down in uh, Delaware. When oh, she was okay. Found. When she was they found. named her at the vet. So. Uh, we named my cat. If, if I may speak about my cat. Of course. You may, we'll allow it. What's your cat's name? My cat's name is Delilah. Delilah. Okay, and wait, wait, let me explain. Because Delilah used to hide, okay? When we okay. first got her, she was literally a scaredy cat. Like, this literally. like, And uh, she would hide behind the furniture and we couldn't find her. Oh. So we couldn't find her for like hours. Like, where is she? So what would you say? Why, 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 Delilah? No, it's the song. <laughs> I just randomly started singing the song, Hey There, Delilah. I was like, and then it stuck. So, you know. She hides, but now this she thinks she like she's on the mortgage now. You know? What oh, I mean? really? She well, she's very friendly. The cat. Yeah, I like her a lot. She responds too. Also, like not in like with her names, but like you know, so cats actually don't have to meow. 
You know what I mean? It's just like they do it to get our attention and they're trying to mimic what we sound like. Because cats don't really need help until they need help. They're, they're on their own, you know? So when you, that's why there's a lot of videos of cats sounding like people because they match people. They mimic people. So when yep. you say hello, my cat does respond, hello. It sounds like it, but it's not. But you know. Yeah. So there you cool. go. Cats are cool too. Yeah, they're okay. <laughs> <laughs> we tolerate them. <laughs> we now move on to our next segment of the show, which is, of course, Tommy's favorite. Uh-oh. Today's birthdays! Ding, 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 ding. Just for Tommy. Just for Tommy. And being for this past month of March, we have been observing Women's History Month. And earlier today, I posted about this woman's birthday. I posted on our Facebook and Twitter feed. Her name is Greta Kempton. Born today, 1901. Mm. She's a painter. Okay. Known for painting in the style of the Dutch masters, like Ooh. Rembrandt and Rubens. But her most famous works are portraits of President Harry Truman and First Lady Bess Truman. Really? Yep. That's really cool. Yeah, she painted their <laughs> portraits, which are still hanging in the White House today, I believe. Wow. So, yes, that was her claim to fame, Grace Greta Kempton. Greta Kempton. Happy birthday. She Happy died, birthday, Greta. She died in 1991. Oh, wow. Happy birthday, Greta. <laughs> well, she'd be quite old. She, she would be very old. Yes. If she was still doing Dutch Masters and it was 21. Right? Know, I'd be like, wow, she's been alive a while. <laughs> <laughs> she's probably smoking Dutch Masters. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's, like, she's like one of the portrait painters in Central Park, you know what I mean? Yep, exactly. <laughs> doing the tourists, you know? Yeah. yeah. Our next birthday celebrant was born today in 1912. He was born Miladin Sakulovich in Chicago, the son of immigrants. His first exposure to acting was at his Serbian Orthodox Church, where his father taught acting and produced plays. He went on to work in a steel mill for three years, after which he studied acting in Chicago. He later moved to New York City and began acting there. During World War II, he served as an NCO in the Air Force. After the war, he returned to New York City to resume his career, after working with Elia Kazan in All My Sons, he moved on to his steady film career. He won the Best Supporting Actor Oscar for his role as Mitch in 1951's A Streetcar Named Desire. Oh. He was also nominated for his role it... as a priest in 1954's On the Waterfront. So name him. It's Carl Malden, isn't it's it? It's Carl Malden. I freaking love Carl Malden. <laughs> Carl Malden's great. That's why I had to put him on hey, here. Ever, uh, and he's in Patton, too. Yes, he is. He played Omar Bradley yeah. in Patton and was also in Gypsy. The that, film yes, he Gypsy. was. You're right. Right? He was like, he's everywhere. Yeah, he did everything. He was also, for the West Wing fans who listen, he was also on an episode of West Wing in 1990-whatever. Yes, <laughs> and in which he played a priest yeah. and in which the Bible he used in that episode was the same Bible that he used in the roles of the priest on, on the waterfront. That's so cool. <laughs> right? Are you serious? I'm serious. Wow. Yeah. He was also known for playing the role of Mike Stone opposite Michael Douglas in the TV series The Streets of San Francisco from 1972 to 77, for which he received four Emmy nominations. Wow. And he died at age 97 in Los Angeles. He was married for 71 years. <laughs> Had two daughters from that marriage. Wow. Married for 71 years. Yep, one of the longest marriages in Hollywood history. Holy shit. Wow. Mm. So happy birthday, Carl Malden. Absolutely happy birthday, Carl Malden. <laughs> We're going to be 11 years and I want to bury him. Oh, so you probably don't remember because he does all the, the American Express commercials. So I have, a, I have a funny little tidbit for you. Pat. What's that? So uh, there's a line that Carl Malden has in Patton. 
right? Okay. He pushes he pushes Pat into the to whatever. It doesn't matter. Anyway, they're having an argument, and he says, "I like you, George, but you know you're a pain in the neck." Okay. And I have it many a times. <laughs> Use that line to describe you. <laughs> <laughs> I like you, Pat, oh. but you're a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right, living with her. Hey! <laughs> about to your room. Yeah. Isn't that also your room, technically? Well, yeah. <laughs> Our next birthday celebrant, also dead, was also. born March, um, today, March 1923. He was born Marcel Mengel in France in a Jewish family. After Germany invaded France in 1940, he and his family went into hiding. And he and his brother later worked for the French Resistance, where they rescued many Jewish children. When he was, he says that he was inspired to pursue his career after he saw a Charlie Chaplin film at age five, and led him to be want to become a mime. A mime. He first used a mime after France was invaded in order to keep the, the kids quiet when he was helping them escape to Switzerland. After the war, oh, do you know who this is? Is it Marcel Marceau? Marcel Marceau, Marcel. is correct. He studied in Paris after the war, began performing professionally as a mime, developing the character of Bip the Clown. Bip the Clown. He became world-renowned, performing on stage, film, and TV. He also had a 20-year friendship with Michael Jackson. Well, that explains some things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, what, really? It's like, yeah, my, of all people, well, you think about the he and Michael was... Jackson had a very good friendship. Well, if you think about the, the, the feet work that's required... For like the moonwalk, it, it is mime. It's, yeah, it's, in it a is, sense, yeah. It's a sleight of hand. It's almost like you know. Magic. Yep. Yeah. Mime is right? magic, basically. Yeah. Yeah. He received many honors during his lifetime, including the title of Grand Officer of the Legion of Honor mm-hmm. and the National Honor of Merit from France. Mm. He died at age eighty-four in what year was that? In two thousand seven. He was married three times. He had two sons and two daughters. <laughs> Prolific little guy. You know, you know what they say. Third time's the charm. <laughs> I guess yeah. so, right? <laughs> Ooh, our next birthday celebrant is a biggie. Oh, okay. Also dead. No, this one's alive. Oh, this one's alive. Oh, my, oh my God. God, you found one. Born March 22nd, 1931. Born in Montreal into a Jewish family. He trained as a Shakespearean actor. In 1954, he was cast as Ranger Bob in the Canadian Howdy Doody show. His first feature film was in 1958's The Brothers Karamazov, opposite Yul Brynner. He also got good reviews on Broadway for 1959's The World of Susie Wong. In 1960 and 63, he appeared in two episodes of The Twilight Zone, called The Nick of Time and Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. He's also notable for his performances in 1961's Judgment at Nuremberg and as a racist in 1962's The Intruder. Good film. It's a Roger Corman yeah. film. And he play, he's excellent as a racist. But he's probably most famous for playing Captain James T. Kirk on Star Trek from uh, 1966 to 69. Okay. <laughs> someone who's barely alive. It doesn't count. Well, I wouldn't say he's barely <laughs> no, alive. he's... he's... As you'll see later on, because this guy has not stopped. He also voiced the role of Kirk on Star Trek the Animated Series and played the role through seven films, the last one being 1994's Star Trek Generations. From 1982 to 86, he starred on the TV show T.J. Hooker with Heather Locklear. Locklear, (laughs) He was also played the role of attorney Denny Crane in The Practice and Boston Legal from 
2004 to 2008, for which he won two Emmys. And of course, which I love, in 1999, he played the big giant head on the TV series <laughs> Third Rock from the Sun. <laughs> <laughs> he also has a prolific music career, having released eight albums. Oh my God. Starting with 1968's The Transformed Man. <laughs> If you, you have to listen to these fucking albums. Uh, well, if you want to really, like, if you ever hear his recording of Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. <laughs> Lucy in the Sky <laughs> with Diamonds. Uh, it's great, because he's it's, like, he like talks his way through these songs. But he's, he's hard, he's great. But he's if hardly you want, great. He's yeah, hardly great. In fact, he does a, there's a video on YouTube, which I'll post on our website, on the blog. It's him doing his 1978 performance in a tuxedo with a cigarette of the song Rocket Man. <laughs> He's famous for it. I packed it. my bags last night. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> you have to watch it. It's Zero great. hour. 9 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> but last year, in 2021, Shatner became the oldest person to fly in space when he flew on the uh, Blue Origin suborbital capsule at age 90. Yeah. That's amazing. Did you watch the video of Jeff Bezos spraying him with Yeah, I know, right? William Shatner went to space and that's what you care about? Yeah. Frickin' pompous. Of course. Pompous. Two egos. Two super egos going at it there, you know? Thank God, like, Shatner was, like, in such an awe. He was in that, they call the overview effect. After he got out of the ship, I don't think he cared what Bezos did, you know? Really didn't. So, yes, happy birthday to William Shatner. Happy birthday, Happy birthday, Willie. And last but not least, one more birthday celebrant. Actually, this will be his first birthday observance since he died. Born in Manhattan, the son of dress manufacturers. His parents divorced when he was 10 years old. And he became friends of the son of Oscar Hammerstein, who became his mentor and father figure. I know Daniel knows who this is. Do you know who this is, Stephen? I don't know until I can find figure out the name. What the fuck? He almost had his first Broadway musical in 1955 with the show Saturday Night, but the producer died and it didn't go forward. He then became the lyricist for 1957's West Side Story, followed by being the lyricist for 1959's God. Gypsy. What? Am I right? Who? Stephen? Stephen, yeah. who? Sondheim is correct. Yeah. I'm so <laughs> proud of my husband. I felt like if I said it wasn't. It would have been too easy. Come fun. on. I'm spending the whole so time. Contradictory. I'm, I'm spending the whole ass. time waiting for him to get to him. <laughs> the first musical for which he wrote music and lyrics was 1962's "A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum." His Under, first underrated book. I just wanted to throw that out. There. Oh, the book. The yes. book of, of oh, Forum so it's, is, it's great. Is amazing. It's fantastic. The music is obviously great, but the book is so good. I mean, it's based on. Ancient scripts, you know? know. It's It's, it's amazing. It really is. It's good. It's a good musical. His first flop was 1964's (laughs) Anyone Can Whistle. Anyone Can Whistle. Not a good book, but a good score, though. Love the score. His last show was 2008's Roadshow, previously called Gold, previously called Bounce. (laughs) Sometimes, you know... In Third the show, the just <laughs> I, I, I bought the score when it was bounce. I bought the cast recording of yeah. it and stuff, and he changed it later on as it developed. The score just kept on changing, but it was just self derivative. Yeah, it really was. It was a shame. It was like, yeah, come on. And I know he was working on something when he died yeah. too, but yeah. we'll I guess we'll never know unless the estate grants someone else permission to finish it. Yeah, of course. He won the best original score Tony for 1971's Company, 1972's Follies. 1973's A Little Night Music, 1979's Sweeney Todd, 1988's Into the Woods, and 1994's Passion. 
and he received the Pulitzer Prize for 1985's Sunday in the Park with George. With Tony Perkins, he co-wrote the 1973 film The Last of Sheila. Have you ever seen that film? Oh, it's... It's a good... He's a millennial. Uh, yeah, I know. It's right. <laughs> it's a good murder mystery film. And I'm sure you know, like, Sondheim loved, like, puzzles and doing scavenger well, he did, hunts. Didn't he used to do the, the crossword for The New Yorker? I heard, did he? Yes, he used to do... Once in a while, he'd do a crossword for Oh, I didn't Yorker. know that. Yeah. But I knew he was big in the puzzles, big in the scavenger hunts. So this movie was based on the idea of a scavenger hunt. Can you please silence your cell phones? Fuck off. (laughs) He also won an Oscar for Best Original Song for, do you know? The Oscar? Yes. For Uh, Best Original Song. Is it it from Dick Tracy? Yes, it is. Madonna sings it, right? Yep, sooner or later. Uh, Sooner or later. Yep. See, I knew knew the contributing factors, but not the name. And in 1996, he collaborated with George Firth on the play... Getting away with murder. Mm. I read the script. It's, it's not. It's not that good. Do, do, do they get away with it? Well, yeah, nah. but it's a very. Con- it's, no. they, but they do get away with it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> they delivered what they promised. <laughs> but that was. That's about it on Steve. Yeah, on Steve uh, that's about it on Steve. I know. I could say. I could spend next few hours on the Steve. I mean, obviously, he deserves his own special. Right. Know? It's almost like I think he, he got his own special when he died. I feel like he hasn't died. This is like he's just. He's been, it's, we've been nonstop like celebrating him, remembering him. I mean, I've been listening to his cast albums almost exclusively since he's passed. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like he's more alive than ever. Yeah. Like, people are now. It's like the completed works. You know, it's like I, I think I think it was Manny Patinkin who said that I got to work with Shakespeare. How cool was that? Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of where Sondheim's work is going to be. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's what we get to look at for the first time is like the complete works of Sondheim. His arc over his career and what he accomplished and what he did and how he spoke. Because like, we think about it like with Rodgers and Hammerstein, you know, they're complete. You know where they got to at the end. Yeah. But now we know where Steven ended and it's like, where, what's next? I know, you know, right? He's pushed the form so far. Now what's next? Yeah. You know, and that's the exciting part. Definitely. We now move on to Today in History. Oh, wow, okay. And in 1963, this British group from Liverpool released their debut album, Please Please Me. Do you know what group it was? I wonder who, Patrick. (laughs) Does Stephen know? British rock group, 1963. Album, Please Please Me. Yes, I know who it is, you (laughs) fucking idiot. Well, you're looking at me like... You know, Patrick, this is radio, like I'm you know? uh, <laughs> musically stupid. It's the Beatles. Yes. yes thank you. It's I'm just going to cut in there before you even start. But please list your discography because I'd love no, to talk about the Beatles. No, because you would have just kept going at me until I, I would love to well, talk about say, the Beatles do you, right now. Do you have a favorite Beatles album? Okay, you don't know this. I am in the I am in the depths of a hyper fixation, which so I have ADHD. Fun fact. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I had no idea. And that formulates in a way where I have these hyper fixations on things for a like, really long time. Right now, I'm in the the, the the depths of the Beatles, so I I can't. No, I don't have a favorite because the oh. entire thing is my favorite. You know, like, <laughs> I can't I can't describe which one I'd like better than. The, you know, what's funny. I've been listening because of the documentary that came out. Obviously, Get Back has been on repeat for a while. Which I know is like one of their single releases, so it doesn't really count, but I'm counting it. So, which is their single release of, of Get Back with the B-side being Don't Let Me Down, which the, you listen to those two songs and it's like, you hear this band in the throes of a divorce, you know? Right, yeah. And it's great. <laughs> they're, they are so mad at each other <laughs> while they're playing their instruments that the music is so dissonant. And it, But then also in a weird way, like bittersweet, like they know it's ending. So they're like, yeah, fuck it. <laughs> you know? Right. So, but do you have a favorite, Patrick? Uh, well, let's move on. 
I, I guarantee Abbey Road is their best album without a doubt. Mm. That's the peak of their their career. I, wow, okay. Without I a doubt. That. But it's not my favorite album. What's your favorite album? The White Album. The White Album. Yep. Do you to realize? me, it's at their loosest. Do you realize? Oh, you have a revolver. Okay. <laughs> he asks. Which is my second favorite album. I'm, wearing, I'm literally, for those at home, I'm wearing a revolver shirt. Revolver's another great album. But I, I love the White Album. I grew up on the White Album. Yeah. I just, my, my brother owned it. Whenever he left the house, I'd like put it on the turntable mm. while I was wow. gone and listen to it myself. And you didn't join a cult. No, I did not join a cult. <laughs> He's gay. You know, so he joined a culture. He would say. He He joined a culture. He did play Dungeons and Dragons, so I would consider that cultish. (laughs) Hey, hey, hey. Dungeons and Dragons is so much fun. Yes, it is. So much fun. The best. I love Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, my God. So I I will defend that. So (laughs) Dungeons and Dragons is gay culture. And listens to podcasts on. Absolutely. For hours at a time. There's YouTube videos of people playing full full quests. I know. There's the storytelling. If you have the right. If you have the right dungeon master, the story will be perfect. Oh, I was so a dungeon master. What? I was, I was a dungeon master. Well, maybe we should play Dungeons and Dragons, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe instead of the, the rest of this. The game now is so different from when I played. Well, then, it's unbelievable. Then play, let's play your way. <laughs> I'd have to find all my books again. I don't even know where the hell they are. Well, they, well get on it. The graph paper out. I'm giving you, I'm giving I know, you. really. Oh, the graph paper out. We'll be using the actual sheets and we'll be I'm, writing it instead. I am giving you great <laughs> podcast material and you're not acting on it. I know. Uh, I know. I am handing you this gift and you're just... I'm feel, I feel... I'm, I'm upset. <laughs> It'll pass. Okay. <laughs> like a kidney stone. <laughs> we can use your frogs. Mm. We can use the frogs. You can use a little frog. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Abigail has graced us with her presence. But also today in history, in 1972, the U.S. Supreme Court decided that unmarried people have the right to possess contraceptives. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. It, I mean, that was, what, 50 years ago? It just sounds so ridiculous uh-huh. that the Supreme Court had to rule on condoms. Uh, yeah. Well, well who, is the, who, is, who is the Supreme Court? Was this at the time when the Supreme Court was, oh. like, debating porn also? Is that Well, like- this is, like, well, 10 years early, well, actually, 8 years earlier in 64, there was a case of Griswold versus Connecticut. Yeah. It was just says that married people have a right to contraceptive and it recognized a right to privacy in that case. Yeah. So this was basically an extension. Now they're saying that unmarried people, people can have contraceptive. Basically saying that premarital sex by unmarried people is okay. Okay. You know, that's what it basically As was. As opposed to, you know, back in the Middle Ages when they put alligator shit in their cloth. Yeah. <laughs> really? Alligator dung. Ew. Was contraceptive. Was that a, was oh that a German God. thing? It was medieval. I don't they know. They do weird things in Oceanside, Patrick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they practice a more simpler form of medicine. I wasn't in Oceanside. alive back then, but I, oh I, I read. Oh, my God. <laughs> South Shore Nassau. Is yeah. Talk about a culture. <laughs> you ain't shitting. <laughs> I'm from there, bitch. I know. <laughs> we are dysfunctional. <laughs> We now move on to our next segment. Yeah. What day is it? What day is it, Patrick? Well, it's actually two things today. Yeah. The it's first Tuesday, one is... Tuesday, and it's the 22nd. Next. Ah! <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Today is World Water Day. Ooh. Started by the UN in 1993, designed to raise awareness of the 2 billion people currently living without access to safe water. There you go. 
A core focus of World Water Day is to inspire actions towards the sustainable development goal of fresh water and sanitation for all by 2030. Yeah, well, I wonder if Flint, Michigan is on that list. Yeah, yeah I right. just going to say that. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if the U.S. will put, you know, allow that to occur. I know, please. This year's theme, because I guess each year gets a theme, mm-hmm. this year's theme is groundwater, making the invisible visible. What? Groundwater is invisible, but its impact is visible area everywhere. <laughs> Almost all of the liquid fresh water in the world is groundwater, supporting drinking water supplies, sanitation <laughs> systems, farming, industry, and ecosystems. What we do on the surface matters underground. We must only put harmless, biodegradable products on the soil and use water as efficiently as possible. Groundwater crosses borders. We must work together to manage transboundary groundwater resources. We cannot manage what we do not measure. Groundwater must be thoroughly explored, analyzed, and monitored. Groundwater will play a critical role in adopting the climate change. We must protect and explore groundwater, balancing the needs of people and the planet. In other words... Of course, that's from the World Water Day website. <laughs> In other words, coming from our sponsors, everything, H2O. Do everything that you didn't do in Flint. Yeah, exactly. Brought to our sponsors, water. Yes. <laughs> and what's I want to know, I want to know, can you imagine being the marketing team for that? For what World for, Water no, Day? No, for like the UN. <laughs> you know? All right, guys, we have to sell water. Okay. <laughs> So let's come up with five good ideas on how we sell water, the thing everyone knows they need. Okay. <laughs> all right. Five minutes into little groups, so everybody come back with your best idea. <laughs> oh, no. It is also today National Agriculture Day. Oh, my Lord. In which we wow, that kind of goes really hand in hand with agriculture and world water, right? It recognizes and celebrates the abundance provided by agriculture across the United States. In 2020, there were 2,020,000 farms in the U.S., down from 2,200,000 in 2007. U.S. farmland consists of about 900 million acres in the United States. And today, how many of that is marijuana? Now that it's legal. Not listed yet. How many farms it's are legal? Not listed yet, no stats. No? But uh, do you know what the U.S. is the world's largest producer of? What? Is it wheat? Nope. Corn? Corn is correct. That we makes are, sense. We are the number one producer of corn. But what is our number one agricultural export? Our, most, our number one agricultural export. Yep, it's not corn. Corn's only number two. What's number one? Of agricultural export. Yep. Hmm. Potatoes. Nope. It's not corn. Is it avocados? Nope. <laughs> nope. They're not even on the is top it oranges? ten. Nope. They're not even on the top ten. Okay. Those are, I think Collard those are... greens. No. Nope. Is it a green? Nope. It's not green. Okay, hold on. Wait a minute. <laughs> Tomatoes. Uh, it's not corn. Cucumbers? Let's put this way. Brazil. This Brazil is the number one producer of this uh, product. No, it's not coffee. It's not coffee. Is it tobacco? Nope. Agricole. I don't fucking know. <laughs> I'm out of, I'm, I don't know. I'm out of produce. It is. Coca. Soybeans. Soybeans. Oh, you know what? I, I knew Soybeans. That. <laughs> That's because of all the hippie freaks in, in this country. <laughs> you heard me, Indy. <laughs> <laughs> and what is our number one market for our uh, agricultural products? Our number one market? Yep. That should be an easy one. Is it China? China is yeah. correct. Followed by Canada, Mexico, Japan, United Kingdom, South Korea, Vietnam, Taiwan, Philippines, and Indonesia. And here's one I know you won't get. Who 
was the current Secretary of Agriculture? The current Secretary of Agriculture? Yes. Is it you, Patrick? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I know. Neither one of you. Get the fuck out of me. His name is Tom Vilsack. Oh, him. Yes. I, I fucking. Give oh wait, he's the he's the one that's he's the one that's that he's the head of agriculture. Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> that, guy, that guy. Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> It may come up in conversation. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You may find an opportunity to bring that yeah. up. You can write a play about him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What I do with my soy. <laughs> I sell my soy. We now move on to our next segment. Usually we go to turn your head and cough. But, but instead, we're going to take our inspiration from Edward Albee and move on to our segment, Get the Guest. <laughs> I directed that play. So, Daniel, uh-huh. why theater? <laughs> because what else is there? We don't have enough time. <laughs> but what else? <laughs> because because what else is there? I mean, if you think about it, what else is there? What else is there? Indeed. I mean, that's 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 just my you know. We all have like things that get us through the day. Well, for those of you who are only theater. tuning in and didn't listen to the beginning, Daniel is the. Co-artistic director of yes, East Line Theatre Company, based yeah. here on Long Island. But the and wonderful the Nicole Saban, yeah. Yep, and the president of, as well. Occasionally when necessary. Yes. So, Daniel, what has the company been up to lately? What haven't we, what haven't we been up to? Well, yeah. tell us all about it. Well, we What's been your well, last production? Your tell us about your last production. Well, we, well, you actually know about our last production. I know, because but you had don't know. Two of our directors on. We had a wonderful production at the Babylon Citizens Council for the Arts in Lindenhurst of Intimate Apparel. Yes, he did. It was Violin excellent. Nottage. It was freaking off the hook. It was such a great show. Packed houses every, every night. People came out and... Uh, and it was beautiful to see yeah. every ethnicity mm-hmm. on earth in this theater. Yeah, well, it kind of came, it came to, to prove that uh, anyone who is using... Race is an excuse not to give these people representation is wrong because they want it. They want it. Yeah. They want it desperately, and we need to give it to them. And I'm I'm of the opinion that Sheila had a vision. Sheila knew what she wanted to do, and her and Matt Bills just an absolutely exceptional production that I'm proud. I'm deeply proud that we produced. Like, it should be. It was like a shower dream. Like we read this play in book club during the pandemic. Like that's the thing too. Like and that's what really made it extra emotional was that this was one of the first plays that our book club read when we went into the pandemic and we were first starting to get used to what Zoom even was. And this show had a huge impact. Everyone was moved, and we kept asking the question: Wouldn't it be amazing if we could? And there were things that were stopping us. And we realized, no, we can't. That's the problem. And if no one else is going to, we have to. And we didn't. And Sheila read the script and like said yes, I think, before she finished the play. And we were off to the races. I was I was proud of it. I mean, I we were on the cover of Newsday, which was amazing. Yes, you definitely. I mean? like, and yeah, the set looked so beautiful. The, the set, set was great. The, the cast, the casting was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. The cast was absolutely beautiful, seeing them all together. The differences in them, but the same. Yeah, I think that you know, they did a really good job at because the show it goes between so many different places. Like it's in New York City or it's in Panama, and you need to have this sort of dream aspect because she's she's falling in love with them with two men without really knowing them. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing about this play is that Esther's being pulled between two men. One she can't touch, and one she cannot see, and she wants she's trying to almost fill the void with both of them and 
she picks one because she sort of has to, because society has made her. And for her, it ended up being the wrong choice. Yep. And I think the play does a good job at being about the expectations we put on certain people to make choices and what, and, and that those choices may not fundamentally be good for them and they shouldn't feel forced to make those. Mm-hmm. And at the end, she comes to terms with that and she comes to terms with herself. And I think if you're not moved by that sort of struggle, then you have no soul. You just, you just don't have a soul yeah. because it's so... And oh my God, Reggie was unbelievable. Our Esther was so good. The whole cast. That's the other thing is they let out an unbelievable cast. Well, it was an, it was an intimate play. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, was intimate, it was intimate. Was it? Was it, was it, was it the apparel? Well, <laughs> as opposed to some of the other productions that you have done in the past season or so, it's fair. a very intimate play. Yeah. It really is. Which, by the way, I think is what Eastline kind of got its notion for. You know, people came to Eastline for intimacy. And I think it yes. worked better in that setting that we saw it in as opposed to being up on a stage uh, removed exactly. from the removed audience. From yeah. It worked better this way. And I think that it was a wonderful. It was a wonderful return to basics. Mm-hmm. Yes. And get back this idea that, like, what is Eastline, like, if you look at its mission statement, if you look at the, the, the things we set out at the beginning to do, what is at our core, you know? And that production, to me, summed it up. Yeah. You know? Oh, definitely. All of it, you know? A play that people wouldn't often get to see, being produced by a group of people who wouldn't otherwise be given, thinking even thinking about the possibility. And then... Delivered to the community at like utmost quality and in this very intimate way that other theaters on Long Island don't prioritize. Yeah. And well, I'm proud of it. You I think be. it, was, you a, should it be. was a return to basics. Everybody should be very proud of yeah. that production. Yeah. And and it followed through with the one we're running right now, which is uh, uh, this play was never about noses, right? Which is adapted and directed by Morgan Moffat, which is running at West Area Arts. Uh, this coming up the final. I don't even know if this is going to be out before. Before that, but you'll be uh, out, yeah, you'll be out on Friday. Oh, well, happy Friday, yep. everybody! It's totally <laughs> not a different day of the week. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it's running uh, tonight, Saturday and Sunday. Um, it's free. Uh, just come on down yeah. and see it. It's gonna be it's wonderful. Again, we this small space that otherwise wouldn't be having this sort of programming, doing something completely us, completely original. Completely so why this play? Why now? Why this play? Why now? <laughs> Um, it was because it was on the list. I mean, this is the thing. We were, no, because, well, this is true. When we left Old Wantaw, which was the worst day of my life, we had a list. We put a, the best what, day of your life. Yeah, well, it saved you from the COVID crap. Yeah, well, <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We made this list sitting in the old, like the old theater in the last few days. Like, oh, what did, what did we didn't get to do? Do you know what I mean? Like the ones that got away. Yeah. And Cyrano was on that list. Uh, Nicole said out loud, he goes, you know, we would have done a great Cyrano in this place. So it, it ended up on the list because I was like, oh, you know what? That would have been fun. So it's been on the list and Morgan saw it on the list because we have this, at the office, we have a whiteboard mm-hmm. and it's just, what are you thinking about? That's what's written on top. And you just put the player that's currently on your mind on the whiteboard. And <laughs> Morgan was like, Cyrano's been on there for a while. I'm like, yeah. And, and they were like, I think I think I want to give that a, a shot. I'm like, Okay, you know, and that's what I mean. That's Eastline. You see it on the whiteboard, and you're like, "Let's. Let, what is? Where will that take us?" Yeah, that's how we like to approach our art. That's how we like to approach what we do. We don't worry about you know what people are feeling other than in the moment because that's where theater lives. You know, so it's exciting. It's from the heart. 
It's from the soul, Stephen. <laughs> it's the Croft. Oh my god, I don't have my hip waiting boots on. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Me being on the board of directors. This is true. It's from the spreadsheets. It is from the spreadsheets. Okay, keep it on the spreadsheets, bitches. But, but, that, but, but that's what keeps us going, you know. Generosity, local taxpayer dollars through grant institutions, the Huntington Arts Council. Literally, the Huntington Arts Council, I'm going to say it again, the Huntington Arts Council is the reason Eastline survived COVID. Mm-hmm. As well as the Alliance of Resident Theaters of New York. These two institutions, in the first days of the pandemic, picked up the phone and called their Rolodexes. They, when the world shut down, they picked up their phones and they called their theaters and they called their artists and they called the people who knew, they knew they were going to hurt. And they said, how can we help? And then they did. There's not a lot of places that can say that. that I just, I want to just get the two of them. Eastline made it through COVID because of them. And you're Absolutely. right. Yes, it was lucky. It was lucky. And it still will, hurt. You know? <laughs> we will put links to these two organizations on Please the do. website. Please do. Yes, you can will. always donate and, and go see what they're producing. Yes, to. please do. Please do. So you, in your current production of This Play Was Never About Noses, yes. which so our audience knows, it's an adaptation of Cyrano de Bergerac. Yes. You can tie those things together now. I yes. can do that. <laughs> We actually well, saw the production this past weekend. Yeah, and stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the audience would be curious to know as to, in this production, part of the angle is that various actors are playing yes. all various roles yes. at various points throughout the play. Yeah. How do you think this helps illuminate the play? Well, I think what's interesting is that when Morgan went into it, Morgan's initial instinct was, I need to make it accessible. Because in its in its normal form, in its pure, like, translated from French form, it is, it's it's bulky. Yeah, it's so dense. So they wanted to find a way to bring the audience in easier. Okay. Try to descend them into this. So that by the end of it, you understood the notions of Cyrano. And I, I, so they, they, their angle was if I took an ensemble of people and I had them move about their roles, giving everyone a chance to shine, we will focus more on character rather than specific individual performances. And that the ensemble, the story itself will carry it. The, it I know it's a strange angle, but that's Eastline. It was. <laughs> we have a strange angle. I There's, think our concern when we saw it and we knew that was the angle yeah, of course. was would we be able to follow the story easily? Yeah, and yeah. yes, it did and not did. prove to be a problem yeah. at all. Yeah, I, at all. I think it. I found. I found things in Cyrano that I had not seen before because of it. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And yeah. I think that means it's did. It's done its job. Now, some people like, I, and, and that's the thing is that Eastline doesn't do its shows. We we like to make choices. You know what I mean? We like to take stands on things. We like to say, "What about this?" We like to ask questions. We don't feel like it's our job to hit every bullet point, and that we want to you know, stick to our side, what we are feeling. Some people, will that won't resonate with them. Others, it will, because that's how art works. Well, so in I mean? this production, when we say actors switching roles, that means there are men playing women's roles, women playing men's roles. Mm-hmm. There are also non-binary actors in the cast as well who are playing these roles. So it is a true diversity of actors. Like yeah, yeah all over the spectrum. It really, everyone gets really a good chance to show themselves. Yes, and that's definitely. what I think is beautiful too, because that's also a problem in Cyrano, is that Cyrano is a glorified trio. Okay, if you yes. are not, if you are not Cyrano, Roxanne, or, or Christian, Christian, you, no one is going to know, maybe Dagish. They may know Dagish, they may know Ragano, but like you don't, then no one else you matters. Know. No. And those what five I- people, that's who the actors rotate around. Yeah. What I did like in, in this production was the narrator. 
Yes, Grantham is so wonderful. The, the, the narrator really pulled it all together. Yeah. Anything that was lacking in the, the, the translation, mm-hmm. he brought in. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, I and he th- did it quicker than doing it in twenty-five pages. Well, that's the thing. Is that <laughs> I think Morgan really made the right choice with taking certain moments and allowing, uh, almost in a sense, for the stage directions to have a voice. Yeah. Because when you read the original Cyrano, this is from playwriting of a different time. Even the stanzas yeah. of the stage directions are beautiful. Like you read any play from around that time. By the way, Ross Stand was a contemporary of Oscar Wilde. By the way, fun fact, they were writing at the same time. And they both have this fundamental way of the way they write. It's very poetic. And yeah. that sometimes doesn't show when you just do the play. Yeah. You have to find ways to 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 show those intent- intentions and make those clear, you know? Well, definitely. We did that with Glass Menagerie, which was the secret last production at Wanta that no one knew about. <laughs> if you know, you know. Yeah. We took the stage directions and allowed it to be a part of how we painted our canvas, you know? And I think Morgan does that really well the, the narrator has this that big monologue at the end in the in the fifth scene <coughs> what is the fifth act and he describes the tree that's on stage you know that like the, the, the writer is describing when leaves fall yeah. you know like that's the intric in, in, in intricacies intricacies thank you well watching this what struck me i was watching this thinking ahead into the future and stuff was that this that would actually make a good musical hmm. along the lines of Great Comet of 1815. That's really interesting. You know, it's funny. There is a Cyrano musical movie that's out with Peter Dinklage right now. Oh, that's now. a, wait, that's a musical? It's a musical movie. I didn't know it was a musical. They sing and dance and stuff. I haven't seen it. So I haven't I, seen it yet either. So, I didn't but know it was a musical. The word on the street well, is, we'll is that there it. is sort of musical numbers involved. It's a part of the lyricism, apparently. So I don't know if it, how much of it's actually a musical. So it was a musical or it was like a, a play with music, you know? I don't know. I haven't watched it. Yeah, I, guess I know when it was out. it was off Broadway with Peter Dinklage and it got panned really? and it was a straight musical and people did not like it. And oh, wow. So Joe Wright is the name of the director, the guy who did um, Darkest Hour. Okay, he he did it. So oh, wow, it's I, I don't know, I, I haven't seen it. Oh, yeah, and here's the thing, I will say is that every time I've seen commercials for it, it's opening and then suddenly that date keeps changing. You know, yeah. so they haven't. I know that they keep pushing back the release of it, so I don't even know if it's out. I oh, have no wow. idea. All right, yeah. We'll have hmm. to look it up. It's yeah, good. definitely. I have one question, though. Grantham is his name? Grantham. Grantham is new to East Line. Brand new. How did he... How many times did he hit his head? <laughs> Grantham is... Let me explain to the, the, the listeners. The theater is in a basement with about... It's maybe six and a half foot ceilings? No, no. That would be... Seven foot ceilings? No, it's about probably an eight foot ceiling. <laughs> is it eight, eight foot? Ish. Is it that ceiling. high? But there are like these banisters. I had to dunk. There are banisters where like the... The closet doors yeah. show. So yeah, there are banisters. But I think that's part of the charm of the space is that it's like I mean, oh, you was, are. He was always. He was always. Now this this man is like what six foot what six foot seven six seven. I have no idea. Six. I know, he's like six five. He's, he's a tall boy. He's a tall guy. And I was just like, oh, I'm looking for the marks on his head. And he's got this beautiful <laughs> voice. He's from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So he's got this wonderful lyricism to the way he talks. It's oh, just wow. oh man. And he's got a he's also a great guy too. And that you can see his personality shine forth on stage. So he's tall and he's also just like the sweetest of guys. Like he is he's really I feel like you know, it's funny because when Morgan did a table read of Cyrano, a lot of people were unsure of the narrator. And Morgan was like, No, I I feel like this is the right choice. And no, then, it was a good choice. And they found Grantham and it just locked in place. Like they auditioned and Morgan was like that's the one. Yeah. And I was like, okay. You know, so it, it really, Grantham is... Good choice. Good choice. You're right. 
So what's next now for Eastline? What's coming uh, up in the future? We're taking a break at the moment. Okay. So we just had auditions for our upcoming summer production of Two Gentlemen of Verona, which is sort of like what we did last year with Romeo and Juliet, uh, for those that may know. Uh, we're going to tour some parks oh, again. Oh, one of the lesser known plays one of by the, Shakespeare. Uh, yes, yes, yes. One of the first plays by we know that's by yes, Shakespeare. Yes, it is. Uh, so we're going back to the basics. Allegedly, by Shakespeare. We're going, we're going to we're going back to Shakespeare's roots in this play. Oh, okay. No, and it's being beautifully uh, led by. No, it's uh, a good play. It's being beautifully led by uh, Jess Reed, who has Ooh, sort of fantastic reworked the script and consolidated the casting, and I, I, the vibes are really wonderful. And we have a wonderful cast lined up for it, and we're going to go to a bunch of new parks this year too. Oh, excellent! Yeah, we're going to the. We're finally going to get to the Fire Island Lighthouse this time. We're wow. really excited about it. <laughs> yep. Please Last don't time wait. The hurricane oh, happened. I got it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't wait to go see. This is right? this, this is not my, my this is not my gripe of the week, but it's say but, that say that. <laughs> but, but I will say, waiting to come to the last production is never a good idea, people. Yes. I desperately need people on the middle Fridays. Yeah. Please, come, <laughs> please come Friday. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that's coming up, and then followed by that, we just launched our auditions for um, our upcoming uh, uh, production of Being Earnest, which is adapted from Oscar Wilde's Importance of Being Earnest by myself, um, which I'm, I'm, I'm going to be uh, leading the charge on that. Doing the wild thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a wild time. <laughs> uh, it'll, be, uh, it'll be super gay. That's what I can promise. No, oh. no, and it's, 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 it's interesting. Ernest never super gay? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. It's, it's because... He, he, Oscar was writing in a much different sensibility and time and concept. Every everything is different, so a lot of the the humor in it is super societal based in something in a society we don't. Unless you're educated in it, you don't really know it and you don't get some of this humor. My hope is to find ways to make people get that humor. And part of it was that I really do believe. I was like, as I was reading it, I was like, Oscar would never did not actually want to be this callous. You know, he had to be. Like, if if Oscar could rewrite this play now, how? Fucking gay would it be? We did over the summer last summer. We did a play by Clive Fitch, right? Which okay. is called The Truth, and we did it yes, at the Planet Arboretum. He was a fellow fag, uh, <laughs> a ba bachelor of a certain age, as they would say in the Times, um, who had a, a writing correspondence with Wilde during the time he was writing The Importance of Being Earnest. And there's a letter that exists between Oscar and Clive, where he said, "I hope you'll come see my play." It is by butterflies for butterflies. <laughs> so I feel like if that, if you have to be, if you are that secretly gay, I yeah. feel like you'd be very openly queer now. So oh, yeah, I would think so. And it's kind of like them saying we're friends of Dorothy. <laughs> exactly. Know, you know what I mean? Right? Yes, exactly. So, you know, and I, I wanted to be more on, on the sleeve with that. So we've, we've, we, we kind of workshopped this idea over the pandemic actually on, on, on StreamYard, which was really cool. We had a wonderful virtual production of it. And I started working on the script on how ways that I feel it could get more forward with what it was, you know, trying to say. And then I found in, in it, I'm finding myself dissecting my own queerness do you know what I mean I'm trying to like what does it mean to be an individual and what what does it mean to be gay and, yeah. and and to feel that way and to try to express it in a way that describes it so it's it's been wonderful the auditions are open all the roles are open it's an open call nothing is precast I want diverse different people who just want to be have some fun so and how should they contact the theater for, for the auditions? you can go anytime you're interested in what's going on at Eastline theater you can go to www.eastlinetheatre.org slash links and you can find all the information going on at Eastline and the play, the play uh, is never about noses. Is still running this weekend. Yes, it is. Excellent. You can go to nos 
noses, you okay. can go to noses.eventbrite.com and you can get your reserve your seat for this weekend so no one takes it from you. Uh, and that's at the Westbury Arts... It's at the Westbury Arts Center, which is in Westbury, obviously. Okay. That's for the name. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, all we ask is for a $20, $20 deposit, which you can get back once you've sat through the play. So <laughs> that's all we ask is just come. That's all you got to do. It's a good, it's a very entertaining show. Yep, thanks. Without a doubt. So what else is on the list? Well, bitch? now that we're at the, near the end of the interview, Bernard Pivo, of course, has his 10 questions. Oh, oh. But we don't do that. Oh, no. We, do the, we? we do the Barbara Walters question. Oh, the Barbara Wawas. Which would be, <laughs> if you could be a tree... What tree would you be? <laughs> if I could be a tree. I'm the fucking oak. <laughs> Nobody asked you. He's the weeping <laughs> You know, it's funny. Actually, I would be a weeping willow. A weeping no, willow. No, that's absolutely. I think, I remember when I was a kid, we went to Westbury, Westbury Gardens, and I, I loved running through the, 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 the willows. The willows. So yeah, I'd be a weeping willow, bitch. Fuck weeping you. Weeping willow. Okay. Thank you for sharing with us, Daniel. <laughs> she only has one question. That's it. What? She only has one question. That's it. That's all. That's the most important question in the world. Oh, okay. <laughs> we now move on to our next segment, yeah. in which we take a look into my briefs. Oh, fun. Okay. And first, we'll be discussing those we've been. I've been watching them for the past two days. The confirmation hearing for Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. Oh my God, these fucking idiots! The, the lectures they're giving her. Well, first day one of the hearing. Yes. Yeah. All it was conjecture. Was everyone on the committee making their opening remarks? That was the whole first day. It's like you've got to be fucking kidding me. This is why the people at home who may be watching this aren't going to be tuning in the next day. No, they want This is why people aren't interested in the U.S. Supreme Court yep. until it comes out with a shitty decision. This is also why Republicans win time and time again because Republicans know how to get on the on the committee benches and make sound bites. Which yeah, is how people hear their politics. Well, that was it. I mean, I watched again today, and these hearings are a waste of time. A waste of time. All it is is an opportunity now for political. Yeah, who's standing. running <laughs> and what are they running yep. for? What do they want? What is yeah. their what is their gripe of the day? As yeah, you would say, and that's the thing is that like you got people like uh, how political am I allowed to get on this podcast? <laughs> as political as, as, as much as you want. All right, so yeah, because then you have like fucking empty suits sitting up there that are just spewing propaganda line. That's all they're doing. Yeah. fucking Lindsey Graham, Tom Cotton, that other. Well, that's the thing. I mean, the last dick, person I watched today before we started Ted doing Cruz. this, Ted Cruz. The last person I watched today was Tom Cotton, yeah. who I don't like anyway yeah. for various other reasons. Prick. Well, he's an educator. <laughs> various, but... only various. You don't have <laughs> but longer. He's list asking than various. questions that he knows she can't answer because they're policy questions. He's, he's asking like, "Well, do you think there should be more murderers in jail or less murderers he's, in jail?" Do you like, think there should be more police on the streets like, yeah. in the United States? Because here's the thing, and this is this this is the backwards mentality of these fucking assholes. They're trying to get a emotional response out of her. Because what they want the argument to be to the moderates like Cinema and Mansion is, look, she's emotional. She should not sit on the stand. She yeah. will not be able to make an intellectual decision. When these motherfuckers put fucking Kavanaugh up there and had a mental breakdown over over Thank a freaking you. you know beer whatever it well, was. Well, sexual assault. Sexual charges. assault, too, as well. But he had, but he got so but emotional. He cried saying, I just like a beer. But this is what I'm saying is that 
that was this is their that's going to be their argument against her is that she had emotional response if she gives it to them which she's she's not gonna no you know no which she is hasn't so far she's, but you can tell like you're sitting here like during like during when Cotton's questioning or when Tank Cruz is questioning her and she has this look on her face and it reminds me of Sheila, Sheila. when it's just like. Yeah, I'm just I really lose my patience with you, but I'm just gonna sit here and take it. This is, this <laughs> because she knows she because this and this is also inherently about the racist fucking people that are in this goddamn yeah. Congress. They're asking her, Do you support more police or less police? Would you ask a white guy that question? Would you be asking well, a white a man that their same fucking bite, question? Their soundbite is gonna be, Well, she's soft on crime, she was soft on terrorists. Yeah. She, you know, she represented terrorists in one time. No, she did her day. fucking job. She she's did a her lawyer. Job as an attorney. And whenever people bring that shit up, I like John Adams Boston Massacre. Yeah. You know? John Adams, second president of the United if States. You, if you don't know what I'm talking about, basically, he defended the, <laughs> the British soldiers who were charged with murder in the Boston Massacre. And got them off. And he got them acquitted, basically. Yeah. Jury acquitted them. Yeah, the jury acquitted them. Yeah. So, they're Fairly. Basically, fairly. Exactly. Yeah, you know, it, was a, it was definitely a fair trial and But everything. that's the point, is that that's the whole basis to the American legal system, is that both sides of the argument get fair game. Yeah. And well, they're also fighting because she, she was defending... People from Guantanamo Bay. Yeah, but that's the whole point. It's like which, it's, but that, but just because someone these people has are to do her clients it. doesn't mean she yeah. uh, she sustains, you know, subscribes to their views. Someone you know? has to. That's do it. That's the whole point of being an attorney. Someone has to do it. Uh, if we're and not going to give these, these people are, representation these are people with law degrees that yeah. are doing this. Yes. It's like well, do I was you like, not well, know the fuck but if they don't, if you don't give them. Corner made a comment today about I don't understand why these phrases are all in Latin. It's like yeah. Douchebag, you went to two fucking law schools. Either you skipped class that day when they talked about the history of law and how it's based in Roman law, or you're just doing it for show. Isn't that either one? Isn't that even bag. in pre-law? I think everyone knows by now. And once you're in college, yeah, our system of law I'm is not, based on Roman law. I'm not you know? a fucking lawyer, and I know it. And English common law, of course, yeah. but and, and, and a lot some, of the legal and, concepts and were somewhat, in Roman law, and somewhat Napoleonic code. There is elements of the yes, French law system that as well. There. That as well. So, but one thing, especially that was, I knew a lawyer thing. See, ha, huh? <laughs> my one lawyer thing. I knew <laughs> one line of question though that had me really concerned. Yeah, was from uh, Senator John Cornyn, and he was asking her a lot about the Oberfeld decision mm-hmm. and substantive due process. Okay, and what that was all about. And I, and basically, I don't think what a lot of people know is what they mean by substantive due process. Okay, and they're referring, of course, to the Due process clause of the Fourteenth Amendment, which okay. says, you know, basically that your right to right life and liberty cannot be violated uh, without due process of law. Cannot your life or liberty or property cannot be taken from you without yeah. due process of law. Okay. Most of the law concerns the procedural due process. Okay. You know, were the proper procedural safeguards in there to protect the person's rights? Mm-hmm. Substitute due process looks at the law itself. And ask whether a fundamental right has been violated. And what they mean by a fundamental right refers not only to rights that are in the Constitution, but to unenumerated rights. Mm -hmm. Now, there is a direct reference to this in the Constitution known as the Ninth Amendment, which says that rights not enumerated in the Constitution um, basically go to the people. That's the, the basic... But for some reason, the Supreme Court has never relied on it because everyone's afraid to touch this amendment yeah. in case laws, and no one ever goes near it. So instead, now they've gone now to the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. And it was basically saying is that there are certain rights that are not listed in the Constitution, but which 
through historical tradition and then through following through case law, have become recognized as rights. Okay. The right to marriage. There is no mention of marriage in the Constitution, but it is recognized as a fundamental right, mm. the right to marry. And it's that's reiterated in the case of Loving versus Virginia, which is the case that recognized interracial marriage. And they're saying it's a fundamental right you cannot deny to a person because of their race. Mm-hmm. And Obersell, Oberfell saying is you can't deny it to people because of their sexual orientation. You can't deny it. But there are other rights that are recognized through this process as well. The right to privacy, the right to travel, the right to vote, the right to send children to private school. But those are all considered unenumerated rights yeah. that have been recognized by the Supreme Court. Okay. But these conservatives are making the argument that the substantive due process is being used by activist judges as an excuse to make policy and create new rights. Okay. So that's their argument. Okay. So that's what I wanted to explain, because I know people are not going to understand what the hell they mean by substantive due process. I don't so, know if I cleared so, it up so, at all. So you lost me at substantive due process. <laughs> Dick. <laughs> Well, no, 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 I, I, no, but actually for a second. So what you're saying is, is that even though certain things are not mentioned in the Constitution, yes. that doesn't mean the Constitution doesn't protect them. Correct. Did I learn something? Yes, you Huzzah! did. <laughs> but unfortunately, we have a conservative majority on the Supreme Fascist. Court, uh-huh. which does not like this. They do not no, no, no. Uh, follow they don't like substantive. This. They, don't, they like to pretend it doesn't exist. They don't believe the pro- in the Substantive due process. Because, arguments. you know, we just gave too many people rights, Patrick. We have to make sure not enough, you know, we have well, to select people. It got rights. me concerned because all he was concentrating on during this question was about the Oberfeld decision mm-hmm. about on same sex marriage. Yeah. And what he neglected to mention is it wasn't just decided on substantive due process, it was also decided on the equal protection clause of the 14th Amendment. Okay. Which to me, from an objective viewpoint, looking at it as an attorney, is has a stronger leg to stand on than the substantive due process argument. Why? It has a more solid foundation in case law, the equal protection clause. So you can look back at it more often and be like, that's... Because under the equal protection clause, you're you're basically the court saying, what reason does the court have to grant this right to one group, but not to this group? See, you know, what's interesting is that I've always found the most fascinating about law is that most of these things are, are rooted in, in precedent, right? That yes. Certain other people behaved in this way. The word is starry decisis, as you've heard in, in infinitum at the hearing today. But but that there is precedent to the way one decides certain things. Yep. How did, but there are also instances where that precedent needs to be called into question because you need to know under what circumstances those peoples were considering precedent. Yeah. But like what scares me more is precedent that has yet to be set. Do you know what I mean? Because if we got a decision coming down that is not even of the things that we already have decisions on, it's obviously awful those get re- get revoked. But the worst thing is that new decisions coming down that should be going in one direction, going in another, setting precedent for future conservatives to say, look, it's rooted in what we've decided. You know, and but I think with there's this, so much work to undo. With this particular court, I don't think we have to worry so much about them setting precedents as reversing precedents. But that's what I'm saying. I mean, if if and when they reverse Roe v. Wade, it'll be the first time that the court is withdrawing a right that it previously recognized. It's going to be a nightmare. It's going it's to be, going to be a, nightmare. a nightmare. It's going to well, it's going to be the 22 election, but it's going to it's going to be 
The world is the world is going to blow up. And but this is what people in authoritarian countries want us to be like. They want us to be going backwards and yep. distracted by exactly. that, so we don't stop them from rolling their tanks over small countries that are next to them. I know. That's I know. literally what they're trying. You are letting them win. Yeah. We now move on to our next legal development in looking to my briefs. Do you remember a Kentucky clerk named Kim Davis? Oh my god! Uh, obviously, yeah. who could? Right. That, what was she, the name of the? Who was the name die? of the? No, no, she didn't die. Who was the name of the guy? The guy was running for president at that time. Who like held her hand up? Do you remember this? Um, I can't remember who it was. Huckabee, not Huckabee. Is it Huckabee? It might have been, yeah. I, I think it was Huckabee. Yeah, yeah remember, Mike Huckabee. She was the one who denied the marriage license. The yeah, couple, she was a right? county clerk in Kentucky. God. And after the court had recognized same-sex marriage in Oberfell, she had a religious objection to same-sex marriage and stopped issuing all marriage licenses. That led to lawsuits against her, and she was ordered by a judge to issue the license, and she was refused, and she spent five days in jail. And she was later released, but only after her staff issued the license on her behalf but removed her name from the form. And then the state legislature later amended the law so the clerk's name wouldn't appear on the form. <laughs> but now these two couples sued her, and I guess she made a motion to dismiss the case, and a federal judge ruled that she does not because she tried to invoke the doctrine of qualified immunity, being that she was a clerk for oh, the no, state no, no, office. No, no, no. And you the put court your said, no, life into it? you don't have a qualified immunity, and they have a right to sue you for damages. And what I loved about it, what he said, and this is something that the Supreme Court should remember, he said that Davis cannot use her own constitutional rights as a shield to violate the constitutional rights of others while performing mm -hmm. her duties as an elected official. Amen. That is so fucking important because we're going to be hearing this religious liberty argument coming up, arguing against recognizing the rights of uh, uh, granted under same-sex marriage. Yeah, yeah. And that's going to be the argument. Oh, I have a, you know, I have the, you know freedom of religion under the First Amendment. And I like what this judge is saying, that you can't use your right to violate someone else's right. You know? That's does, something the court that needs to remember. Does that mean that they can, that they can uh, reject a Jewish couple? Trying to get a, a marriage license. Yeah, I know, right? When yeah. No, you don't do it to any other group. You exactly. Can't do it to this group. Well, anyway, the, the she's represented by the Liberty Council, oh, which is yes. a you've heard of the, the right wing law firm. Of course. And so saying, much liberty. Well, so this much. case, they're saying this case may go to the Supreme Court. Which, please. I mean, it'd be an interesting case. Well, they're going to argue it on First Amendment grounds, you know? But I think it's an interesting... But that judge's motion, right there. Yeah. I want a case on that. Right, right now. Bring a case up where they argue that it is not within your rights as a politician to infringe others. Yeah. I want that on the books. Just unbelievable. So, yeah, Kim Davis back in the news. Yeah, well, what else is new? <laughs> She's like the clap. She always comes back. <laughs> we now move on to the week in fascism. Bum, ba -da -dum, bum, bum, bum. Speaking of Kim Davis. Yes. Well, this is only once last week we had a whole slew of stories under this uh, segment. Yeah. Oh, my God. This, one, this time there's only one story. Yeah. But it's emblematic of something that will be happening across the country. This is reported by the station KXAN in Austin, Texas. On March 9th, Suzette Baker was fired as the head librarian at the Kingsland Branch Library in Yano County, quote, for creating a disturbance, comma, insubordination, violation of policies, and failure to follow instructions. Hmm. Basically, she was told to remove books from the library, and she refused to. 
Did they burn them? Well, it doesn't say that they burned them, but she basically said, the books in my library were not taken off the shelf. We did not move them. Yeah. I told my boss that was censorship. Yep, it is censorship. But a group of people had reached out to the library system claiming complaining that certain books were inappropriate or pornographic. One of the books was about the life of a transgender teenager. Oh, what a shock. So yeah, the books concern sexuality, gender identity, not enough people and race. Have, not enough people have seen Footloose. I'm sorry. I know. I know. Uh, there is a scene in Footloose where the John Lithgow, the, 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 the priest character, catches his parish freaking burning books and he stops them. That's the ma that's the lesson at the end. Yeah. What's the next step here? You're going to start removing books from libraries, and then what are you going to do to them? Well, that's what's basically going on. And, she, and a patron of the library, a woman named Leela Grant Green Little, she said the library has gone under recent changes. There's no transparency. She's like, the advisory board meetings of the library are now closed to the public. And she said, I am now counting 12 books that I know have been removed from the library and I can't get clarification from the library system on why. Mm -hmm. She said there are very clear rules that should be followed with regard to censorship to books in the public library, and those rules were not followed. That is literally, like, you're a public library. Was Mein Kampf taken off the shelves? I know, right? It was put on, no, it was put on, uh, it was put on the paperback shelf. Yeah. <laughs> Summer right, summer light reading. Mein Kampf. I mean, the school. I mean, it was first right next thing, to Ann Coulter. First yeah. day they were going at. First they went into the school libraries. Now they're going after the public, public libraries. libraries. But this is they're what's happening. They're not going to stop. No. They're not going to stop. Nope. They're not just going to go away. We have to make them stop. We have to stop them. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Everyone well. is just sitting on the sidelines thinking, "Oh, we'll blow over." It's no, not. it's not going to blow it's over. It's getting worse. By the way, anybody in Florida? Gay, 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 gay. <laughs> I think you missed a gay. Gay. There you go. That was it. That's the right number. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> I mean, it, it's what it, it's all boiling down to. You Don't teach my kids, really, because your kids are already going out calling each other cocksucker. It's true. And faggot. Yeah. How about teaching them what it's what what that means? Or they're in denial of who their children or, are. What yeah. happened to loving your child? Yeah. Why is that such a bad thing? If you all, wanna, if you they're all believe, saying how how it's a sin to be gay. No, but the it's sin also, is, it's also, is kicking yeah. your child yes. out and stopping the love. Yeah, persecution is a sin. Because of, of who they are. What's the greater sin? And you, is really, seriously. Because if you believe in Jesus Christ, as a good Catholic schoolboy, I know these things. If you believe in Jesus Christ, your fundamental argument that he set the commandments anew. And he said, love thy neighbor as thyself. Simple, number one. He didn't fucking stutter. It's in your book. You need to reread your fucking book. Yeah, what pisses please. me off is that all these higher than mighty assholes passing all this shit have been married three times and gotten divorced because of affairs. Yeah. And they don't leave holy lives. Listen to the Bible. You would be. You would, you would have been stoned yeah. to death already. Like he who has sins throw the first stone. Yep. Jesus. Come on. You and your polyester wearing pricks. Absolutely, you're right. Whatever happened to Trisha? Thou and that's shalt like, but that makes fabrics, but, but that right? Good, right? Thou shall not wear white after Labor Day. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the, the gay Bible. That's the gay Bible. I'm sorry. Oh, man. Gay! <laughs> okay, I'm done. We now move on to our next segment, We Like to Watch. <gasps> yes. Ooh. So, that's Daniel, cool. you were in London uh, about a week or so ago. I I'm sure you saw some... Plays there. What did I you saw, see? I saw four plays. Actually. Oh, what did you see there? Uh, it was bookends with Shakespeare. So we first saw. I went with my brother. Uh, he's studying in London, so I met him up there, and we went. And I dragged his ass to theater, and we saw Henry V with Kit Harrington. 
Oh, uh, wow. Which was at the Domner Warehouse. Oh, oh no. <laughs> he was I would have come in Oh, man. It was wild. He was, is interesting, you know. We I didn't know this, but we saw the opening performance. Oh, shit. Oh, my like, God. It, only, it, it had only been in previews at that point, and it was finally going into, it was finally, it was like the Oh, man. That's great. I love that. So they, they were kind of still new to the production. It, some of the production's choices I thought were a bit clunky, but ultimately I thought the performances were really, really good. And, you know, I mean, he, he did St. Crispin, and I, I, you know, I got emotional, you know, yeah. hearing him do it and deliver it beautifully. You oh, know, really? it's it's not a play that I've seen before. Yeah. I've only ever seen the Kenneth Branagh film, so to see it live is really cool. Yeah. It devolves the play, if it had any Shakespeare lovers. Uh, I do think <laughs> that it, it, the plot loses steam after there's not a battle anymore to fight. Right. Because it's really just sort of this build up to a battle that then you don't see. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, I want a wife now, yuck. You right. know? Devolves into like this weird sitcom at the end. I know. But other than that, I thought Carrington was wonderful. Oh, and then excellent. we saw, uh, at the National, we saw a new adaptation of Weathering Heights, which was adapted and directed by a director who works out in West the West End, uh, Emma Rice. And oh, she, wow. she, yeah, so it, it was an interesting production and was very musically driven, so okay. like big character in Weathering Heights is sort of the wind. I'm going to take a pause here and say goodbye. I have a a work call. Okay. Yes, he's a business meeting with China. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Tell him to get off Taiwan. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say Taiwan. That's that's the that's that's, that's the rule around here. <laughs> Um, we don't say the T word. I'm sorry, you're not going to get any <laughs> listens in China now. <laughs> so no, and so basically, in Weathering Heights, right, is the, one of the characters is the Moors, right? Okay. So they sort of found this way to with a chorus of people and, and instruments, but a lot of like rhythmic stuff, like with feet. Yeah. Um, they created sort of the sound of the wind that was pushing the production. Oh, cool! It was really, really well done, and it was really great. I think. It's it's in talks to transfer to St. Anne's, so oh, excellent. people might get a chance to see it. So if it comes to St. Anne's, go see it. It's gonna be it's really really good. Oh, fantastic! Uh, and then I saw the collaboration, which is this new play running at the Young Vic with Paul Bittany as Andy Warhol okay. and Jeremy Pope as Basquiat, which is I did hear about which this. is okay. about their collaborative efforts. Yeah, and it was an interesting play. The performances are. Like, some of the best theatrical performance I've seen in a really long time. Oh, wow. They've already signed it for a movie. That's how good this thing is, yeah. So, oh, I don't know if it's going to transfer or not, but if it does, you got to see it. It's 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 really Yeah, really I, really I was good. reading about it. I, I have reading the script about this if now. you want to read it. Really? Yeah, of course. Oh, I bought, I'd love to read it. I bought the play text. Of course, oh, of course you did. <laughs> I was like, I don't know when this will be published. I have to put it in my library. Right, yeah, I don't blame you. <laughs> also, in, in London, a lot of the scripts have the program in the script. So oh, cool. Because so you, you have to buy programs there, so yeah. it saves you buying the program. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and then um, the last thing I saw, we went out to Stratford Avon and we saw Much Do About Nothing. Oh, nice. At, at the Royal Shakespeare Company, which was really oh, excellent. wild. Oh, man, that production was holy budget, Batman. These people <laughs> have too much money. It was like this Afro-futurism sort of cyberpunk vibe. Oh, nice. It was so cool. Oh, It was my God. so funky and it was so cool and there was music the whole time. Oh, that's great. Oh, yeah. And it's a hard show, I think, to pull off because it, it can get really boring and very repetitive. Yeah. And they do not cut shit. At the Royal Shakespeare Company, at least not as often as they should. <laughs> and because um, uh, so my joke is that it's much ado about nothing except a wedding once in a while. <laughs> um, so you know, and it's got all of the Shakespeare tropes in it. You know, the father who feels abandoned by his daughter, oh, and man. and the I love him. But I'm gonna make him work for it, you know. <laughs> of course. And then you know the serenading, you know, male ingenue who talks about 
she's my woman and I love her because she's like the breeze, you know? <laughs> so, oh my God. so, you know, it's got all the tropes and then the evil like stepbrother and stuff. So it's fun, but uh, it's a great production and a lot of fun. So, oh, that's excellent. That's what I thought. Cool. And then just recently I just saw, uh, we went to, me and Nicole Saban went to BAM to see The Medium, which is uh, this really like avant-garde production that was mounted in the 90s by Anne Bogart, who is uh, one of the great living... Uh, theater directors and she's retiring oh, so wow. she remounted this production that sort of launched her you know and her and her style you saw it and it was, I remember seeing there was an opera called The Medium yeah I don't know if it's the same I'm okay. not sure but this is very much in that vein there's a lot really? of a lot okay. of rhythm a lot of music a lot of singing a lot of dance wow it's, okay it's very movement focused and it's basically about this this philosopher who theorized the idea of the internet basically that this is where we'll one day end in the digital medium and they sort of Take that, he died of a stroke. So okay. the character dies of a stroke and then he falls into a television and he channel surfs. Basically. Oh my God. And he kind of experiences what he was prophesizing in real time. It's really, yeah, it's really trippy. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's yes. super trippy. Sounds like right up my alley. Oh, yeah. I don't, you got it. it oof. I think it's on YouTube. You could probably watch it. Really? It's, it's wild. It's something you'd love. Oh, cool. Honestly. Well, and you know what's funny? That. It's like, I watched this in his early 90s and I was like, hmm. Wow, the '90s really didn't like variety, you know, <laughs> because it's like it was right at the same time as like like Philip Glass was coming into like fruition, and, okay. and I'm like these '90s avant-garde artists really were bleak about shit, weren't yeah. they? Yeah. Like, oh no, the internet's a terrible place. I mean, it is. It is a dreadful place, but sometimes it's good, you know. Yes, so I it felt is. like there was a weird negate. It was dated because it was 30 years old, you right? Know I and mean? so. But it was cool, yeah. What well, are you watching, cool. Pat? Have you seen What anything? have I been watching? Nothing theatrical, except for the play that I saw this weekend, of course, oh, of course. which we already talked about. But I've been watching a lot on TV, of course, lately. Oh, okay. What did we... First, we watched the new Scream movie on oh Paramount Plus. I can't bear to watch that. Why would you watch the 14th reboot of Be this fucking series? Because... We needed something mindless to watch that night. It's we, didn't, mindless. We, we didn't want anything heavy, so it's we figured, mindless. hey, let's watch Scream. The first, movie. but the first original Scream is so good. It is so Why good. Did they they made it. The whole joke of it was that it was making fun of horror films. Yeah, and then it became the type of movies that it was making fun of. Well, now it's become the movie that makes fun of the original movie. That's what it basically does. It's oh, like, interesting. It's, it's very meta about the original movie. Interesting, okay. And of course it brings back many of the original characters from the first one. <laughs> they even managed to bring back, what's his name character? Skeet Ulrich. Skeet Ulrich. Skeet Ulrich. They managed to bring his character back. <laughs> I actually enjoyed it. It was actually, you know... Yeah, it was mindless. Yeah. Okay. You know, it was just... It was the perfect popcorn night movie. It really was. Okay. So did I, I did they, that a thumbs up. Did they uh, kill Drew Barrymore again? Or whoever no, no, no Drew Barrymore this time. That's, yeah. a, that's one person they did not bring back with Drew Barrymore. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> we also just finished watching Star Trek Discovery. Ooh, okay. The whole, first the whole newest season of that. Yeah, okay. This show gets so much grief. Why? Online. For being, I think, I think it's partly based because it has a female captain. I see her referred to as uh, what was a uh, black uh, black female space Jesus, something along that line. Jesus Christ! Because she's always like saving the universe or whatever in all the seasons, and yeah, I'm like, well, isn't that what Captain Kirk always did in his in his seasons? So I think there's some of that. Also, because there's a lot of diversity in the cast. You know, you have nine you have non-binary characters now on the show. You have an a gay car a gay couple on the show. Couple of gay couples, lesbian couples. So I think people this is like this is not my grandfather's Star Trek anymore. Who you cares? Know? Your grandfather's dead. And it's like, you know what? <laughs> I grew up on that Star Trek. 
I'm glad it's moved beyond yeah, that. Yeah, why not? You it's know, got, it should move beyond it that. It should be relevant to a new generation. There's nothing wrong with that. What's really funny is though is in the, the all these new series now they all incorporate cursing in the show. Oh, really? And I just think back to the Star Trek movie with Kirk and the the voyage home, the one when they go back in time, they get the whales. Okay. And they talk about about cursing and how it's not used anymore, and Kirk refers to it as colorful metaphors. Colorful. So I'm like. So did the timeline change, and now cursing's acceptable in the 23rd century? They passed the, they passed the you can say fuck bill. Yeah, I know, right? Like, you oh can say gay bill. You're allowed. <laughs> and we're also watching Star Trek Picard. Oh, okay. Which, loving that, of course. How I is love, Patrick? Is he good? He's great. I love Patrick Stewart. Can you know wrong, you know? And they good. they have now uh, John Delancey's back as Q. Oh, cool. On the show. Yeah, they brought Q back this season. That's cool. Whoopi Goldberg was in their opening episode. Okay. So that was really cool. So yeah, I'm enjoying now a lot of that. But we just finished watching this uh, limited series called Pieces of Her with Tony Collette. It was on mm. Netflix. Okay. It was a good murder mystery. The ending, the very ending of it, kind of just like, it's meh, that kind of an ending. I mean, everything gets resolved, but the ending's still kind of like, meh, you know? Well, you know <laughs> but it was really good. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, it was a really good murder mystery thing, though. It really was. <laughs> we, um, I just started watching The Gilded Age. I don't know if oh, know. okay. Which is like basically upside down, what is it? Was Upstairs, downstairs. Yes. But... Also Down Abbey. Down Abbey. But also, who cares about the downstairs? Let's just talk about rich people. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, it, it, that's what it's like. It literally, the whole thing is rich people problems. And then, oh, there's a secret gay character. And oh, one of the characters is a woman of color. And oh. Uh, and so, it's like, the sets are beautiful, though. I'm and sure. every, every Broadway star who's ever lived is in this show. Right? It's hilarious. Oh, my God. So, like, Patrick Page walked on, and I was like, okay. Oh, God. I guess Patrick Page is in this. And then, what's his face from Fun Home? Michael, Michael... Um, uh, Cerverus? Michael Cerverus shows okay. up, and I'm like, I think Nathan Lane turns up at one point. I'm like, oh okay, God. guys. I mean, he was short for talent or something. I don't know what's right? going on. Jesus. So, yeah, it, we, I just started that, and I was like... <laughs> by the second episode, I'm like, why am I watching this? Um, I haven't gotten into those shows at all. You know all. what the problem is? Is that like like Downton Abbey? I watched the whole thing. It is so addictive because it's like it's you know what it is. It's got like the same formula as like an S episode of SVU, right? Like Law and Order. Like you know how like you watch Law and Order and like you just can't watch one. You have to like you get sucked in. Yes. You watch more than one and you get start like I know binging, but like it's different. Yeah. It's more like an addiction. And then by like <laughs> the seventh or eighth one, you realize you haven't really been enjoying any of it oh, no. because everything is so repetitive and you're yes. like you're guessing the endings. That's how this feels, and it's like I can't. It's like it's addictive. Oh, you know. God. So, but I'm not enjoying it. <laughs> I'm watching it, but I'm not guilty, Patrick. <laughs> and the last thing I've been watching, I think we're only like one or two episodes in. It's a docuseries called The Andy Warhol Diaries. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I put that on my list after seeing the play. Uh, really good. Yeah, is it? Really, really. It's not a straightforward, conventional documentary Interviews of people in his well, life and everything. The, the, the factory, what were they called? Factory, um... The, the factory people. I was a studio, yeah, basically. Yeah. It was a factory. So it's like the people who followed him? It's that... Basically, it starts from the beginning of his life. I mean, you oh. have interviews with his brother in this. Wow. They have interviews with everybody who was back there that who's still alive. You know, mm. not many of them are alive anymore. Yeah, it's like, uh, it's kind of like... And just, like, I learned new things about him, like how involved he was in the church. Uh, you know, when he was younger and everything, I never realized how devoted he was to the church and everything. Yeah. yeah. He went with his mother to three masses a day yeah. on Sundays. Like, that gets dealt with. That gets dealt with in the play. 
They're really? About, yeah, they talk about his religion in the play. Wow. Because uh, it, it's really interesting that uh, I don't want to ruin the play for anybody. Yeah. You know, but they do deal with it. They, it is, it's, it's, it's a part of the conversations they have okay, about cool. this sort of how, how can you make art like this if you believe in God? And it, it's really interesting. Okay. It's a really fascinating conversation. Yeah, we just got. I think we're like two episodes in. We just got up to like right after he was shot. Oh yeah, yeah. That's dealt with too. I mean, yeah, yeah. That well, that, a lot of people seem to think that that's what kind of got him in the end. Is that he got shot and he lost his his groove. Well, you know, he changed his perspective and everything. His persona changed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I can't blame him for that. Got shot. You know, <laughs> cannot blame him for that. Yeah. Not at all. And that's about all I've been watching. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's it? Yeah. Yeah. Have you watched any of the Oscar films? Did you get a chance to see any? What did we see? We haven't seen Belfast yet. We saw Spider-Man No Way Home. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that counts. It's got four, what, four nominations, I think. It's a great movie. Actually, that was really good. It's a good movie. We it's just good. finished watching it this weekend. Yeah. That was a good movie. That was really, really good. I enjoyed that. We uh, So I've been, I've been binge-watching all the, the, the best Oh, features. and must have won the, the satire one that was on Netflix... Don't look up. Don't look up. I saw that at an early screening, and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Meryl Streep, and Jonah Hill were there. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh I saw God. I saw Meryl Streep in the flesh. It was wild. It was like, it was like a rock concert. Wow, that was interesting. I was I just... Leo did not want to be there. He did not want to be there. No. He was, Lou looked really uncomfortable up there. Yeah, Meryl Streep was sort of like, yeah, totally. yeah. She just seems very easy going. Well, at this though, point, she's know? like, yeah, this is what I do for a living. All right, what do you want to know? Right? Do you know what I mean? Like, I know. But Jonah Hill was like. So excited to be there. Oh, cool. Well, because Jonah Hill's having his moment now. Do you know what I mean? I so it's know. like he's branch, he's, he's exploding. He's doing uh, that new movie with Scorsese, the uh, the, 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 the Garcia, the um, Jerry Garcia. Oh, really? Yeah, I he's playing that. Jerry Garcia. Oh, shit. And it's going to be about like the Grateful Dead and like, the oh, last wow. years of his life and stuff. Yeah. Oh, my God. So Oscar bait right there. Yeah. <laughs> See? I could talk about movies. <laughs> but funny is that movie I saw, I thought it was, it was good. When I heard it got a Best Picture nomination, I was like, really? Yeah. I was like kind of surprised by that. It was okay. You know, I, yeah. I, it was okay. It went exact. It, it was everything I expected. I like my satire a little more subtle, not you over the head obvious, but. But I thought there was some commentary in there that I, I liked. I liked that yes. they were making. I know. know. I think there was some truth in there that scared me. You oh know? yeah, like the billionaire character played by Mark Rylance. Oh, oh my god, I know. Coke. But that's, I love but that's, Mark but that's the point. These are the people that are doing. I want to see his new movie, The Outfit. I heard it's amazing. Oh yeah, it's getting like rave reviews yeah, already. Yeah, Dying to that. see that. Yeah, Power of the Dog. You should watch Power of the Dog. Yes, I know. That's on my. We have that's it on my. Here. That's on my list. That's I my favorite movie of the year, Pat. Really? Oh, I don't, we yeah. haven't seen it yet. I love that movie. We saw West Side Story. Yeah, what'd you think? Wow, we loved it. Yeah, did you see? We it in really the did. What? Did you go to the theaters to see it? No, no, we watched it here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I really, really liked it a I lot. I would, I wouldn't be unhappy if it won Best Picture. I mean, yeah, is it? But is it? But is it truly the best picture? I mean, to me, there were some things about it that I didn't agree with. Like, I felt like Stephen was at times scared to do a musical. Do you know what I mean? I felt like the music at times didn't link and sync with moments enough. Okay. And I don't know. I just I felt like a lot of the sort of cinematic imagery at times didn't feel justified because he was so rooted in reality he tried to make it be so real but that's what I liked about it it, it had a 21st century sensibility to it and stuff and it showed and it didn't take away from the production numbers themselves but I, but I felt like he were, played into them but there were so many characters that were like oh my god people are singing like you can just they just, they don't need justification it's a fucking musical. It's a musical there's no way to justify people randomly breaking out into song that's why it, it, we don't try to <laughs> I know that's the point of a musical I'm just kind of glad they omitted like reference to them being in high school 
Because, but I still felt like because none of them looked like high school. Well, you age. know what though? The Jets still looked like boys. The Jets still looked like boys, and the Sharks still looked like men. And then what's going on there? Yeah, like Bonato's like a, a quality boxer. Steven said this is the, these are the gayest Jets and Sharks I've seen. Well, that's the thing in this movie. In this movie, Bernardo is a boxer, so okay, he's obviously someone. And Riff is what? Just a kid? And I know. And they treat him a kid. Like, literally at times, they're like, I knew your father. So they're trying to make him be a kid. Yeah. And then at other times, they're trying to make Bernardo be the adult, the father figure for Maria. So it's kind of like, what's, why are high schoolers and fucking grown-ass adults fighting? I know. So they, I, there, was some unco- there was still some things in there that I, I was like, you could have... Come on, Steve. But, 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 is there anything better than the dance at the gym? The dance at the gym is fucking great. And I love it. And the music is amazing. And yep. It's the, the okay. Yeah. When the mambo moment happens, I freaking like. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. It's a it's a golden moment. It is. Show. It is an it iconic really is. moment. You know, especially from the original. Even in this one, I felt it at times. I like the original better, but you know that's just me. I think they're two different movies. I would agree. They I would, really I would, are. I would argue that is fair. Because I said one of the things I missed about this movie was the Jerome Robbins choreography. Well, if I can recommend you know? Pat Finn. For those who have TCM now, for those who like to TCM, on TCM, TCM spent time and money to fully restore the original version. Really? So it's in HD on TCM's app. Oh, wow. It's gloriously, beautifully. I can imagine. High def. It is so beautiful. They did a wonder. They really did a great job. And you know what? I forgot until I watched it again how colorful that movie is. You don't realize how much color is in the film. Yeah. And then you watch it, and he's singing Maria, and the wall behind him is like like lime green, and you're like, I <laughs> don't remember that. It's like, it really is like, there are moments in there where I felt like I was watching the movie again for the first time. Oh, man. So, that's my recommendation. From watching, that's my recommendation. Okay. TCM, original West Side Story. <laughs> eh. Thank you for that recommendation. Yeah, you yeah, know. We now move on to our next segment. Psst. People saying stupid things. Okay. <laughs> I have nothing in particular to say. If you want to hear people saying stupid things, tune into the Senate confirmation hearings <laughs> for the judge. And listen to all those senators, because, yeah. man, are they saying some stupid things there. How would you rate your religion, Patrick? <laughs> On a scale from 1 to 10, Patrick, how would you relate your religion? Non-existent. I'm an optimistic agnostic. <laughs> <laughs> so negative three, is that a fair number? Just on a scale from one to ten, I put how me at religious? a zero. I put me at a zero. How religious, you know. Like, like I said, I'm an optimistic agnostic. Like literally it's like he short circuited. It's like he went dap dap, you know, just like it's like, what are you asking this for? I know, right? Yeah. Shit stupid. Yeah, the questions were just I got one for you. What's I that? I got one for you. Uh, this is not what stupid people say, but what they do. Is okay. that does that count? Is that uh, I guess. So well, I guess it, it, you know what, they did say something in the moment, but uh, we brought people down to see Cyrano, and the chairs are somewhat movable, so these P2 people, there was chairs in the middle of the row, it was the back row. Now, I don't want to ruin anything, but a lot of the actors move kind of behind on the back cross, Yes. and he pulled out his chair, and he sat down where he pulled it out, in the middle of the aisle, and I said, ah. I was, and I had to be like, no, 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 sir, you cannot, So, and he was like, uh, what, I can't sit here? I'm like... I'm like, I'm so baffled because there is literally no row there. Oh <laughs> like, you, what do you mean you can't? Yes, you can't sit there. <laughs> that seems pretty fucking obvious. <laughs> there you go. There's my one. There's my one. We now move on to our five faves. Oh, I have mine. And in recognition of today being National Agriculture Day, we are asked to name our five favorite farmers. Meh. 
So, who do you have on your list first, Daniel? Do I have to list all of them, or do you want them? You can go one at a time. time. Okay. Do I have to explain my reasoning? You don't have to. Okay, my first reasoning. Okay, my first favorite farmer is actually Malvern, where I come from, used to be a farm town. Did you know this, Patrick? Yes, I did. That the the local town was a grain depot, and it was grain farmers. Okay. That's how the farmer was founded. When I grew up, there was still one farm that existed in Malvern, and it was called Grossman's. So my first favorite farmer is that guy. <laughs> farmer Grossman. Farmer Grossman, who in my youth would stop traffic to cross Ocean Avenue with his tractor to get to his fields. Oh. It was like, it was a very wholesome time back then. Very howdy doody, if you will. But that's true, by the way. He did. He lived across the street, and they must have built Ocean Avenue across his front yard, so he would drive his tractor across four lanes of traffic to go farm. Oh, my God. Yeah, I think he might be. A, I've lost, but it's now um, it's still a farm. You can still go, but oh, cool. Grossman, that's my number one. Who's your number one? Well, I'm first on my list. The Farmer of the American Gothic Painting by Grant Wood. Okay, that's a good one. That's a good one. Love that. Great painting. The ironic thing about that painting? What? The person who posed for that yeah. was a dentist. Really? Yes, he was really? a dentist. The woman who was playing the farmer's daughter, or sister, or whatever it was, was the painter's sister. Oh, really? sister, yeah. Interesting. Yep. But yeah, the farmer of American Gothic nothing. was a dentist. He was a dentist. <laughs> That's what that pig's pitchfork was for. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, open wide. <laughs> Who's next on your list? Okay, mine's interesting actually because he's been mentioned in the in the podcast already. Oh, yes, John Adams was. Ah, uh, yes, John Adams was a farmer. John Adams retired to his farm in Peacefield. Yes, he did. So, and his correspondence between him and Thomas Jefferson during that time are excellent, excellent, excellent reads. Obviously, one of them is unfortunately Thomas Jefferson, but they the correspondence is beautiful, and I highly recommend reading it. So, he talks about agriculture through the whole thing. There you go. See, I was prepared for Agriculture Day, Patrick. Were you? <laughs> oh, definitely. I, I'm wearing my overalls right now. <laughs> my next farmer is Farmer Ted. Who the fuck is Farmer Ted? From the film Sixteen Candles. Sixteen Candles. Played by Anthony Michael Hall. Whoa. He was the king of the nerds. Whoa. But he was called Farmer Ted. Oh. Obviously, you never saw the movie. Isn't that the one where they're like on the table about to kiss? With, yeah, with Molly Ringwald. Molly Ringwald, yeah. And oh, what's his name? Oh my God, I can't think of his name. Michael Shuffling! That's not the one where Jake! He, the one, oh, he's What's so the hot. one where he holds up the. Blue? Oh, that's uh, Say Anything. That's John Cusack. John Cusack and Say yeah. Anything. Have you ever seen Better Off Dead? Oh, yes, yeah. Great movie. Yes, it is. That's like basically the same movie. You know? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Who's next on your list? Oh, oh, oh. Okay, this is an interesting one. But both my great-grandfathers on uh, both my... How do I explain this? Anyway, on both of my side come from farmers, actually. Okay. So on my dad's side, all the way back, we were potato farmers over in Ireland. And on my mother's side, way back through her mother, my mother's mother's mother was from, <laughs> was from Cuba. And her father was a farmer. So there you go. So those are my favorite farmers because of them I'm here. So that's my... And that's we my, thank them. And we thank them. <laughs> Thank you for fleeing Ireland and Cuba. <laughs> yes, really. Next on my list is Arthur Hoggett. Who? The farmer from the film Babe. Okay. Played babe. by James what, Cromwell. What was that movie called again? Babe. No, that's not how you said it. I <laughs> said went, Babe. You went Babe. Babe. <laughs> from the film Babe. <laughs> is that the one about the pig? Yes. 
talking pig, all the animals talk. Yes. And James like Charwell's there. It's like Charwell. Like that'll, that'll do, pig. That'll, that'll do. do. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Okay, I remember. So who's next on my list? Who's okay. next on your list? Uh, Cesar Chavez. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh no, my god. With no further comment. <laughs> For those of you at home who don't know who Cesar Chavez is, he was a, a labor activist, uh, primarily out in California, yeah. I believe. Mm -hmm. I think it was it for um, Orange Pickers, right? It was. I think that's how it formed. As I forget which they were. They were. They were. They were. They were. They were. He organized the the people who picked. Yes, he did um, the produce off of farms. Yep. sort of off in California. I think didn't he? It was in the fifties and sixties, right? Yeah, sixties and seventies. Really. I think he fought Reagan, didn't he? Uh, Something probably. Like, yeah, so. Reagan was probably so. governor of yeah, California so. then. Yeah. yeah. So Cesar Chavez. Good That's going to get me some grief, I'm sure. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> fucking commie. <laughs> You're damn right. I'm proud. I'm a fucking proud communist. Thank you. Next on my list is Herschel Green. Don't. Do tell From The Walking that. Dead. I don't watch The Walking Dead. Ah. I'm, in, I know, I, I'm sorry. In the second season of The Walking Dead, the uh, survivors, some of them, end up on this farm okay. run by this man named Herschel Green. Great old man stuff. Meets a very grisly end, unfortunately. Oh, no, why? Yeah. That was what the, the, the villain at the time was the governor. And at one point he had Herschel as a prisoner. And he basically cut his head off. Nice. It was, yeah. Nice. It was, no, it nice. was quite grisly. Yeah, this is a good, good a wholesome family show. Yeah. But don't say gay. Don't say gay. Let the kids see that. But don't <laughs> let them see gay. So who's your final choice for your mine five is, favorite mine is, farmers? Mine is kind of a cop-out, I think. Oh. I'm sorry. But my, my final favorite farmer is Johnny Appleseed. Oh, my God. That is a good answer. He farmed more apple trees than anyone oh else, Patrick. Oh, my God. Tell me how he's not a farmer. <laughs> how is he not a farmer? He planted so many trees. Yeah, I spread my seed, too. And it'll, oh. pull, it'll pull me a farmer. Oh, God. No. I do not accept the negative energy from this post. I do not. Thank you. Johnny Appleseed. Favorite farmer. Oh my god. <laughs> Cesar Chavez. I think those things compute. What do you think? <laughs> John Adams, Cesar Chavez, and Johnny Appleseed. I think it's a nice swath. Okay. <laughs> my final choice for so, my, someone else I don't know. For my either. favorite farmers, yes. <laughs> from another TV show before your time. Okay. It was Oliver Wendell Douglas and his wife Lisa, played by Eddie Albert and Ava Gabor on the TV comedy. Green Acres. Green Acres is the place to be. See, you know the theme song. Farm living is the life for me. Come on, sing with me. You know the theme song, but you don't know the show. Okay, you motherfucker. Uh, I do know In the fact, show. In fact, on one of our previous episodes, we had five faves, our five favorite pigs, and one of my pigs was Arnold Ziffel, the pig from Green Acres. I have watched Green Acres. My mother loves Green Acres. Oh, cool. I have very fond memories of the fact we used to have a, a vacation house, a small little like like cabin in Pennsylvania. And we had a cookie jar that, when you opened it, it sang Green Acres, the theme song. <laughs> so my mother always knew I was taking sweets when I wasn't supposed to. Oh, my so, God. So that's why that, 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 that theme song is branded into my brain. Uh, <laughs> and um, my mother used to love the show. So cool, me watch too. Sometimes, so. That's excellent. Don't ask me a single character name. I don't know that, but I know, <laughs> I know the theme song. And that concludes this segment of Five Faves. You're welcome, Pat. We my choices. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm giving you such great podcast content. Oh, you certainly are. I'm the best guest you've had. <laughs> we now move on to our final segment, 
the grumpy old gay men gripe of the week. Oh my god, the final segment? Yes. So what oh is your god. gripe of the week? Oh my god. Okay, so the craziest thing happened. Before I got here, my car was broken into. <laughs> no. Yeah, so I, I, I must have forgotten to lock my car and and uh, the contents of my glove box and my um, the middle console were spewed out all over the floor. Did you lose anything valuable? No, because I don't own anything valuable. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a console so, uh, The only thing that's in my car is a Bob Dylan CD and I think like a Starbucks cup. <laughs> uh, they do and a flannel. Did they do any damage to the car? No damage at all. The car was fine. It started up fine. They did, however, take my cigarettes. The only they took my pack of cigarettes. The crime. So I hope to if Mister Person who robbed my blue Subaru in Malvern on Sydney Avenue. Uh, I hope you like the pack of marble marble menthols. Please enjoy them. <laughs> With much love, Danny Higgins. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm actually kind of glad there was nothing in my car because that guy probably put so much effort in to be like this guy had nothing. I was gonna take his fucking cigarettes. Right? Oh my god. <laughs> He's probably so mad I didn't have anything. He stole my cigarettes. Oh man. My gripe of the week. Is chicken Caesar salad. Why? <laughs> Whenever I seem to order it from a diner or some place, okay. when I get chicken Caesar salad out at a restaurant, mm -hmm. they cut up the chicken, mm -hmm. usually. Sometimes you go to a place and they just put a breast on top. Okay. But most times when you're ordering it in a restaurant, they will cut up all the chicken, mix it into the salad. Well, we ordered... I ordered a chicken Caesar salad from the diner the most uh, this past weekend, and it was all these strips of chicken covering the top of the salad. Okay, I mean, like it wasn't just like you could have put a little bit of chicken in from like from like, my like two or from like two of these strips, two or three of these strips. They put enough chicken in here for fucking dinner. <laughs> it was just like. This isn't do me any good. Am I gonna cut this up myself now? Uh huh. Yeah. And it became a mess. And uh, I can't believe it. So never again will I order chicken Caesar salad out from a diner or any place well, else. I understand why you need I'll chicken. I'll just order it when I eat in. Why do you need chicken? Restaurant. I like Caesar salad. Is fine. So do I like it also. This I don't need the chicken. Particular night, I was in the mood for chicken you got Caesar the salad. Patrick. Who needs the chicken when you have <laughs> when you have crushy bread? Okay? You have hard, stale bread. You don't need chicken in your Caesar salad. Yes, I do. No, you just need stale bread. There are times when I need Croutons, chicken Croutons, stale bread. Who needs chicken in a salad, Stephen, when you can have crusty bread? I like chicken. Yeah, but crust. See? It, well, thank you. Thank no, but, you. but soggy crust. Crust is the best Wait, part of any sandwich. Everyone knows this. salad I bought him the other night. What? He's yes, complaining so that's about my gripe of the week. Thank the gripe you. of the week was his was the chicken on his Caesar. Be happy you were complaining that it was too stuffed full of food. Yes, I know. I but should. Not enough. <laughs> but he'd be complaining. It, it became it was, a very messy affair. You would be complaining that's if it right. was the opposite. I picked on the chicken that he. I know he ate most of the strips. <laughs> <laughs> you saved that. It's another meal unto itself. You mm. can put it in the fridge. It's good for lunch tomorrow. <laughs> Take a doggy bag. We now come to the conclusion of our show tonight. All good things must pass. We want to thank our guest, Daniel Higgins, for joining us. Thanks for having me. I hope you had time. a good time. Yeah, it was okay. You were, the company was meh, but the conversation was great. Oh, thanks. I think you <laughs> fuckhead. And tell Tommy the next time I'm on here, don't be so afraid to talk to me, okay? Oh, I'm sure he won't be. <laughs> be here. I'm sure he'll be back here in June. We talk more about the importance yes! of being earnest. I wanted Tommy here, the queen bitch. Where is he? <laughs> no, don't worry. He'll be here for that. I'm there was sure. so much. Not there was such a significant lack of complaining in the room without him. <laughs> 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 he'll get you for that. I hope he yes. does. I'm trying. I'm egging him on. I'm trying. Pat
Patrick, I'm trying to give you good content. Good podcast content. And you're doing a fabulous I'm, job. I'm working, my, I'm working my tail off for you, Pat. Mm. All right? <laughs> Go on your other call, Tell honey. China not to take Taiwan. Make sure you get that in again. You know where to find our podcast episodes. They're available on podcast providers everywhere. You can also find our episodes on our website, www.grumpyoldgaymenandtheirdogs.com. We have all our episodes there. Plus, we also have bonus material set up bonus. for all the topics that we discuss on each episode. Oh, fun. Yeah. So you're going to have to make sure that, uh, I don't know, information about Cesar Chavez gets in there. Oh, okay? most definitely. We look at Pity a link to Cesar Chavez. Oh, for a little mini bio of Cesar <laughs> Chavez. <laughs> Asterisk, subscribe, and also further info on Cesar Chavez. Right? <laughs> Do you have songs that play out? Oh, yes. Yeah, okay. we, we don't have the music now, but oh, okay, we okay. added on All later right, on cool, and yeah. stuff. Make it David Bowie. <laughs> to, to David Bowie? Yeah, make well, it we have set music for each. Rude! Why can't it be David Bowie? No, sorry. Yeah. If David Bowie had been part of the podcast discussion, so maybe we would have used the David Bowie song, but he was not, so we didn't. So there. No. Get over it. <laughs> <laughs> Next time I'm going to talk about David Bowie, and I'm going to make you put David Bowie in the show. <laughs> I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Oh, <laughs> you do that. First thing I say in June, I'm going to be like, so, David Bowie. Ha! Anyway, this brings our episode to a close. We want to say have a good night. Have a good week. Have a good white life. Have, have a good, good wife. wife. Yes, have a good wife, I'll too. I'll take your wife. Someone please take my wife. <laughs> and we'll see you next week. And you have to give Tommy's call phrase. Which is? Bye, bitches. I have to do it? Yep. Okay. You want to set me up again? Okay. Right? So, have a good night. Have a good week. Have a good life. Bye, bitches. Perfect. <laughs>